desert storm, by blue sunshine, read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Chapter 7 Master Nasaday, Mace Windu clips out, waiting outside the council chamber, would you care to explain? Ben smirks, and he can't help the perverse pleasure he still derives from driving this man up the wall. I've taken Obi-Wan Kenobi as my Padawan learner. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mace says flatly. You... What kind of self-serving machinations do you have? Not self-serving, Ben cuts him off, tilting a sharp hand as he would in any briefing with Cody, cutting silence into the room. I will ask of him more than any other master would dare and demand more than he'll believe he can give. But he will become who he needs to be, hopefully with a few less tragedies. Mace points a finger in his face. Training yourself, that... That's cheating. On so many levels. Dark days lie ahead, Master Windu, Ben shrugs. We must take what we can. Obi-Wan, in a span of hours, had shed his doubt like so much dust and now shines like a beacon while he laughs, splashing with Anakin in one of the shallowest pools, while Shmi walks in wonder among the nearest gardens, one eye always on her son. Ben himself settles on the edge of a larger pool, listening to the water lap quietly behind him, and to the echoes of Anakin's bright laughter bouncing off the walls, and to the quiet hum of life, growing life, that is all the growing things in the gardens. Senator Sheev Palpatine is already the elected representative of Naboo, is already amassing power in the Galactic Senate, and has a reputation for his generosity and his determination. He's right there, just within reach, and Ben can't touch him. For two reasons. The first, Ben is not strong enough to defeat Darth Sidious even now. He knows this in his bones, in the cold whispers the Force curls into his ears, not yet not alone. The second, Ben does not know exactly when Darth Sidious slew his predecessor and became the Sith Master. Sidious at least is known to him. Ben does not dare challenge whomever his master had been. He does not know yet when he can act, but he has an idea of how to figure it out. If he can track down Maul, he can observe his progress, but that means going to Dathomir and that has its own perils. The Night Sisters are not to be trifled with, and there is much more he can get from them than the path of his old adversary, in time. Particularly given that Ben has just put himself on a very precarious path, and he is not on it alone. Ben settles his twisting thoughts into true meditation as he feels Shmi join him. His muscles gently relax and his senses expand. Her presence is more mirage than real, but like heat on the sands, Ben can still feel it, gently skimming just along the edges of his own. Ben lets his sense of self sink into the gardens, into the thirst-light bloom of the nearest tree, into the warm soil and cool water, and the peace that suffuses this part of the temple most strongly. Together they curl around Obi-Wan and Anakin's brilliant lights in the Force, touching their joy and the ease of childhood, expanding into the temple itself, 
into the echoes of memory upon memory of force sensitives imprinted on the very walls. They let themselves drift. The tight hold of quiet and shadow that Shmi has wrapped around herself loosening its hold, letting out glimpses of her shining presence, like a spring bursting from the sands. There is a spike of worry from Obi-Wan that draws Ben back into himself, gently encouraging Shmi to continue to rest in her senses, to let herself drift in the force and feel. When Ben finally recognizes his own heartbeat well enough to open his eyes, he finds that he and Shmi have been joined by Masters Yoda, Plo Koon, and Shakti. Plo Koon has released his senses and is meditating peacefully, but Yoda's mind is on the here and now, and he is watching Ben. Shakti's eyes are closed, but there is an open curiosity about her as she carefully reaches out to meet Shmi in the force. The young woman startles, and the shadows pull in, muffling her presence once more. Shakti withdraws in the force, radiating quiet apology, but when her eyes open, there is something deeply contemplative in their silver depths. She closes them again after a moment and sinks into true meditation. Ben lifts a brow at Master Yoda. Serene, you two were. Feel it, half the temple can. Loud you are. He glances at Obi-Wan, who is trying valiantly to demonstrate to a toddler the concept of paddling. Loud, you always have been. Most of his life, Ben had been told to tighten his shields because he was one of the loudest broadcasters in the Order, even over Anakin. The ability to mentally deafen anyone not suitably buffered had not endeared him to any potential masters either. Force knows Qui-Gon had stifled their connection whenever he projected too much. With a proper bond... He and Obi-Wan would probably be able to hear each other from opposite sides of a planet, which was a boon he had not previously considered. Is there something I can do for you, Master Yoda? Ben inquires politely. If a master you have chosen to be, duties you must attend to. Much demand there is for talents such as yours. A new Padawan you have. Convenient, this is, hmm? Yoda says, pinning Ben with his thousand parsec stare. A new lightsaber your Padawan needs. A new lightsaber you should acquire. Go to Ilum, Squall Clan must. Need a chaperone, they do. You're assigning me to a training mission, Ben asks incredulously. To Ilum, what about... He glances over at Shmi, who is once more immersed in the Force. Look after the Skywalkers, we shall. Well, they will be. Learn without you, they will, and good, that is. Grow they can, if let them, you do, Yoda says. Not unkindly, for all that it chafes. Yoda and Ben still stare each other down for a minute more, before the time-displaced master accedes to the request. Though he does shoot a wondering glance at Plo Koon and Shark T., wondering what their purpose here was. Offered to accompany you, Master T has. A Padawan she feels she must find, Yoda explains. Though Ben frowns lightly, 
Insofar as he recalls, Shakti claimed her next Padawan while Ben was on his year-long mission to protect the Duchess of Mandalore three years ahead. By the time of the Clone Wars, Master T was considered one of the greatest training masters the Order had ever seen. It was why they chose her to oversee the training of the clones on Kamino. And curious, Master Pro was. Good meditation is, and welcome he was. Ben nods his assent, and Yoda closes his eyes, slipping into meditation. Ben follows. Squaw Clan is fourteen members strong, most of them aquatic, semi-aquatic, or amphibious species, ranging from the youngest at eight standard to the oldest at twelve standard, or their species equivalent. They are to a number eager to crowd and question Ben and Shakti, excitable in the presence of Jedi who are not their crashmaster. To a number they also move around Obi-Wan as if there is a barrier that separates them, and the boy seems uncomfortable in their presence. And by their probing stares and even more probing questions, chief among them being, I thought you were being sent away. Why did Master Nasade choose you to be his Padawan? Given that Squall Clan knows that their every present member will be a Padawan or a healer, even if formal training has not yet begun, his last-minute redirection is out of the ordinary. Younglings, Ben calls for their attention again. Initiates, an amused Shakti corrects, clapping her hands together once and successfully gaining their attention. We would like for all of you to select your bunks, please, and then proceed to the comm station. While we're in hyperspace, you may make study of the passing star systems. Find something interesting to share with us all after dinner. Yes, Master T! They chorus back, and Obi-Wan hovers under Ben's elbow, looking up at his master with wide eyes. Me too, he asks quietly. Are you an initiate? Ben asks. Is that a trick question? Obi-Wan retorts quickly, and Ben snorts, reaching out to tug the small braid behind the boy's ear. No, Padawan mine, it wasn't. He glances at the bustling, busy Squall Clan and lowers his voice, opening his shields and prodding at the faint, fledgling bond between them. He thought it would be easier or stronger, given that he and Obi-Wan were, well, were. But it was proving just as tenuous to connect with him as it had been with Anakin. It's mostly a distraction to keep them occupied, he whispers. Obi-Wan quashes an inappropriate smile and nods. You and I are going to meditate, Padawan, Ben says, well aware of the disappointment that declaration inspires. And work on your mental shielding. Am I too loud? Obi-Wan asks uncertainly. I know I project too much, everyone tells me. It's not that, Padawan. I'm less concerned with quieting your mind than I am with teaching you how to protect it, Ben says knowing he should use the boy's name and struggling with the dissonance of doing so. Obi-Wan blinks. Protect it from what? From whom, Padawan? Ben says, and explains no further. That was an intense first lesson for your student, Shakti speaks softly, even as whispers echo in the ice chambers. The Temple of Ilum is beautiful but cold, even glittering with shining sunlight. Together they watch the door slowly freeze, 
feeling the fifteen small, bright force sensitives wander the catacombs beyond. Most masters wait until familiarity has been established through lightsaber training and simple meditation before diving into the deep end of the force. It is not quite a rebuke. I know, Ben replies simply. Shakti's curious gaze holds against his face for a moment longer, and then she nods just as simply. Master Yoda says you're looking for a padawan, Ben says, minutes or hours later. There was one in the crash whom I believed would be my future padawan, though I could not claim him for another three years, but recently something has changed. In the boy, Ben inquires, curious. In myself, Shakti replies. I cannot see shatter points as Master Windu does. But I have felt as if I face a great choice, as if I am just about to step forward where the path diverges. And yet I cannot see what those choices are. Would you like my help? Ben inquires. I am not a renowned seer, but I do have a talent for prescience that has become more pronounced of late, he says, with an utterly straight face in spite of the irony. Shakti lifts a fine brow. You want to meditate? Here? On Ilum? It was not generally encouraged to throw oneself into the Force when on a planet rife with focusing crystals. You may not get yourself back. If you want clarity, then yes, here on Ilum, Ben replies. Shakti is quiet for long minutes and then nods. Yes, all right. She was always brave. Ben settles himself down, sweeping his robes, thankfully borrowed from the ship for the weather and therefore a neutral blue, underneath himself as Shakti did the same. They face each other, knees only just far enough apart not to touch, and Ben studies her face as she sinks into meditation, focusing her thoughts on that precipice she senses looming. When she seems ready, Ben reaches forward and takes her hands in hers. She startles. A bright streak of alarm and then settles, determined, as he lets himself fall away into the force, concerned only with the point of connection between them. It starts as vague, blurred flashes, storms of rain over a violent sea, a dark jungle night, and Shakti's voice in the darkness. Be brave. Sand. The hum of hundreds of lit sabers and the rattling roar of an amphitheater. A dozen upturned faces reaching up towards a hollow projector. It settles. Like walking through a fog into clear day. A young man wearing no braid twirling a green saber, pacing himself through a series of katas on the grassy ledge of a cliff, grinning as his master walks up the hill to join him. How is my sister Padawan, Master T? He smiles, flushed with an easy confidence, radiating strength and surety in the force. There are pitted scars across one cheek and over his hands, and the weight of experience crinkling the edges of his eyes, for all that he is still young. 
Birds swirl in the open air, gliding on the drafts the cliffside create. She is contrary, Shakti replies, igniting her saber and posing to face him. They fall into an easy twirl of sabers, familiar, comforting, but harsh, quick, and rigid in a way the temple does not teach, but the battlefield does. There is conflict in her that she does not understand. Then she's lucky, he replies softly, for she has the greatest training master in the order to see her through it. Shakti laughs, but her words are sad. Even I am not infallible. None of us are for all that we wish we could be. She draws in a sharp breath, blocking a powerful strike before shunting it away. But the first lesson remains, she recites, and he echoes her with a soft smile. Trust in the force. The path shifts, another choice made, and... They are standing in dust, the taste of smoke in the air, and Shakti is coming up behind a woman with brown hair styled in three braids, with twin saber hilts at the low of her back, oddly notched and perfectly parallel. Her presence in the forest is quiet but vast. How does he feel? Shakti asks, coming to stand beside her. To be a freed woman on a freed world? The woman replies, and Shakti does not recognize her then, but Ben does. Her face, her true face, is tilted towards the sky, tears running clear. But she wears a smile. For the first time in my life, I believe I know peace. Shakti reaches out and takes the woman's hand. I am proud of you, Shmi. Thank you, Master, Shmi says the word packed with a history of meaning. For being here. Mom! A young man calls, blonde hair flashing gold in the sunlight as he dashes forward and swoops Shmi up, spinning her around. We did it, Mom! We did it! He grins, soot-streaked and dusty and grinning from ear to ear. Padwan Skywalker, Shakti says dryly, standing just out of range of being hugged. Anakin lowers his mother back to her own feet and looks only a little abashed. Krem has your tea, he greets. And then his gaze drops deliberately to both her elbows. Your Padawans are missing, he exclaims with dramatic exaggeration. I'm sure they aren't, Shakti says, looking quietly amused. I'll go make sure they're not in trouble. There's still a bit of a riot out here. He flashes a cheeky grin kisses his mother's cheek and dashes off. They're less trouble together than you are alone, Anakin Skywalker, his mother calls after him, and he laughs. They are abruptly back on Ilum, where it is, in stark contrast to the place of their vision, unmitigatably cold. The force is ringing in their ears, and there are three self-satisfied initiates hovering around them with curious gazes. Ben rises, helping Shakti to her feet. She meets his gaze when they are both standing, and there is a depth of wonder there. Padawans! She repeats the plural, intrigued and unsettled. I think claiming Anakin as your grand Padawan because his mother was your Padawan is cheating. That boy is not of your lineage, Ben grumbles. 
A sly smile curled at the edge of his mouth. She shoots him a short look. Is that so? She inquires archly, amused, and then again still shocked. Not at once. Musters? A little Nautilin boy inquires, breaking up their reverie and calling their attention back to their duties as the initiates exclaim over their journey in the caves and they wait for the others to arrive. Shmi Skywalker is already an adult herself and a mother, Shakti says later, quietly, as they wait for the last few to return. Obi-Wan has still not found his crystal, and Ben, who finds a wall of ice to be no challenge, will enter once all the younglings have succeeded. Ben says nothing in response. Shakti must decide this for herself. Obi-Wan comes out last. Carrying the youngest member of Squall Clan on his back, the girl clutching her crystal victoriously, but also sporting a very swollen, sprained ankle. Shakti immediately sweeps the girl up, directing Squall Clan to fall in line and follow her back to the ship. Ben hangs back with his padawan. Did you find what you needed? Ben inquires. Obi-Wan looks up uncertainly and lifts his palm, slowly uncurling his fingers. I found it, but it... It's split in two, he says, revealing the two cleaved halves of crystal. Ben lifts a brow and carefully picks up the pieces, holding them up to what remains of the light. One refracts a bright ice-blue sheen which is familiar to him, but the other half is shaded slightly green. He's curious to see what color it will bring out in the blade. Multi-crystal blades are not generally built until knighthood, Ben comments. But with the proper regulators, I see no harm in building one now, so long as you are responsible. We'll merely have to work harder on your connection with the Force. You'll need to advance quickly. Obi-Wan is wide-eyed by the time he's finished speaking, but he nods and retakes the crystals, looking fiercely determined. The naivety of it almost hurts to look at, and so Ben clasps his padawan on the shoulder and then moves beyond him to enter the cave. The lake. The carking damn lake, fucking course. Ben had been walking along the dark corridors, listening to the ice shift, when suddenly it gave way beneath him, shooting him down a dark slough and right into icy water, and there, below him, Shining like a gem was his crystal. At the bottom, Criffit. Ben forces his shocked, numb limbs to move and swim, chest burning because he hasn't had time to pull in a breath to hold before his unceremonious dunking. It reminds him too much of Utapau, of the sudden plunge, and the dying death dead that screamed in the force and never stopped that hurt and devastated and had him wondering if it wouldn't be better to join them, all those lights going out, to just open his lungs and drown. He didn't do it then. He won't give up and do it now. His fingers close around the crystal and his boots sink into the sandy bottom as he pushes off, kicking up into pure blackness until something finally slams down on his head. Water floods his mouth and nose, and he panics before he reins it in and presses his free hands to the ice above him. Only it isn't ice. It is stone, and it bites back at his fingers and refuses to budge, 
Ben pushes his senses as best he can, given the white noise slowly consuming all rational thought at the burning pressure in his jerking lungs, demanding he open his mouth and breathe. Except there is only water. There is no ice easily breakable. Above him, stone stretches in all directions, unyielding. And Ben slams his fist against it, once, twice. There is no way out. Ben feels fury rise up, despair, hate, all the black and vile things that haunted him since Mustafar, and if he was honest, long before that. All the things that crowded his every defeat, that mocked his every failure, that crooned so sweetly, give up, give in to me. I'll ease your pain. I'll crush your enemies, use me. Except Danikin had done that and destroyed everything he'd ever loved. I'll find a way, Ben swears. He had been given a chance. It had not promised to be easy or straightforward, but it was a chance. Ben pushed into the stone and kept pushing, not with his hand, but with everything that he was, all his hopes and nightmares and everything he had and everything he has sacrificed. And what was mere stone compared to that? The world rumbles, and great chunks fall from above him, occasionally catching his shoulder or side as he propels himself up and up and finally breaks surface, gasping and scrabbling with his fingernails for a solid edge to hold on to. Ben laughs when he has air in his lungs, relieved and drained, and kicks at the water until he can heave himself up onto the shelf and drag himself back out of the catacombs. Shakti's expression when he arrives half-frozen, quite literally, and supported by his padawan is to be cherished. And Ben doesn't realize until she pries it out of his flesh that he'd picked up a second crystal of his own when he decided to punch the stone's ceiling.